0: someone who likes animals or livestock and is willing to learn on the job, Sioux Nation has openings for vet techs. Anyone who is interested in a job that is essential to the ag industry should connect with us through our website, SiouxNationAg.com. That is SiouxNationAg.com. Hi folks, and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Now, I'd like to invite our listeners to join me in welcoming Mike Jaspers. Mike is a former member of the South Dakota Legislature and the former South Dakota Secretary of Ag. Now, currently, Mike is the Director of Business Development at East River Electric. He's also a livestock producer. So thank you very much for coming here today and talking with us, Mike. Well, my pleasure. So maybe just a quick background. I mean, uh, I spoke very briefly about the fact you were in the legislature. What house were you in? What did you do when you were there, I should say? So now it's getting uh, well over 20 years ago. I
1: was... uh, young kid uh, shortly out of college and uh, you know through high school in and, and college and you know and seeing government and stuff and I thought ah, you know someday I want to do this well the opportunity came up in my life uh, sooner than I expected mm-hmm. but uh, like I said I was very young in my in my career and in my life at 26 years old I was able to get elected from my home area which is way uh, northeast South Dakota so day Roberts Marshall County Webster Britain Siston area for for people that know that area a little bit is kind of my home turf and I represented that area for four years in the House of Representatives, and that was the last four years of the 90s. And got into the year 2000 was when term limits in South Dakota, the state legislature, kicked in, and and uh, so folks that had been serving for a long time uh, were now limited to eight years of service in one body or the other, the House or the Senate. Mm-hmm. So at, the, at that time, I'd actually it was just in the process of moving to Sioux Falls uh, for career reasons, and was you know, that was going to be my primary thing. And uh, at the same time, like I said, the legislature uh, termed out a lot of people. And so there were a lot of open seats and I was living on the west side of Sioux Falls and there was an opening there and I was encouraged to run. And so um, even though I just moved to the area, uh, it was uh, neat because I had a lot of uh, well basically west of the interstate in Sioux Falls district 11 and but it, at that time went way out to Wall Lake area for mm. our people around the Sioux Falls area that know so I had some agriculture and and things and so I was able to then serve another four years down here uh, two more in the and the house and then my last two years in the Senate and that time I decided that uh, well I came down to Sioux Falls and I, I couldn't run fast enough and I got caught and I got married and <laughs> took to the to the altar and so I you know we were ready to start a family and it's time to s- kind of stay home 12 months out of the year and, and do business. So so I served eight years uh, total in legislature at that time.
0: And so then later down the road, you had an opportunity to be Secretary of Agriculture.
1: Yes. Uh, so going back to my legislative experience, uh, there was another uh, uh, freshman legislator at that time, the same time I was, by the name of Dennis Dugard.
0: Oh, I've heard of that guy. So
1: yeah, yeah. So it's so what I, and fortunately for me, he had remembered my name too a little bit. And uh, toward the end of his uh, administration as governor, uh, he had an opening as the Secretary of Ag, and he knew that I was still actively involved in agriculture and, and had done some other things. And I uh, held the role of a uh, State Director for uh, USDA Rural Development, for kind of the economic development wing of the U.S. Department of Ag and different things. And so he had called and asked if I would I would serve as Secretary of Agriculture. So I was very honored to do that. It was a, a great job and helped to uh, helped me advocate for a lot of things that I'm passionate about, South Dakota and agriculture, primarily.
0: But now you've transitioned into a different role with East River Electric. So maybe you could describe a little bit of what you do to the listening audience so they understand how this role is so unique but benefits the people that live in rural South Dakota in ways kind of like what you wanted to accomplish with the Secretary of Agriculture.
1: Sure. Well, so first of all, uh, maybe some people uh, don't uh, know who East River Electric is. So we are the uh, wholesale providers in the rural electric cooperative system. And our uh, geographical territory is just about all of eastern South Dakota and portions of western Minnesota that kind of tail in going over to like Marshall, Minnesota and beyond and Kind of just pushed across the border a ways, so we have a uh, 26 different uh, cooperative members, uh, distribution cooperative members that sell power to individuals, and and uh, one of the things that they were looking at with uh, uh, management and the and the board was, we want to be more engaged, more proactive in helping our members and our member systems because uh, all the all the people that have a rural electric co-op uh, meter that pay a bill there are all members of the cooperative system, and we want to do things to help help support them to keep uh, you know, long-term rates lower. And you do that by uh, selling more electricity, right? And having more members and and uh, stimulating local economies. And we're interested in keeping small towns growing and, and going. And so they said one way to be proactive in that is to be more active in helping with economic development. And so they create a position called business development director. And so far, I guess they think after just about three years on the job that I'm doing okay because I'm still there. I guess my my key fob still lets me in the door every day. Anyway, well, that's convenient. So yeah, it is. It's a it's it's a good reassurance every day when I walk in. <laughs> but uh, so my my role really is to uh, help. Uh, uh, facilitate that uh, uh, we have uh, uh, different member systems work with different economic development directors across the state and the area or individual people who have a business idea or you know need some extra financing or assistance or connections or or looking at larger projects uh you know, for example, uh, uh, one right now that's looking at this region, uh, looking at producing um, high octane jet fuel and, uh, and high octane and low carbon uh, jet fuel. And obviously that's a, a focus of, of a lot of people in the country and in the world right now is, is looking at reducing carbon footprint. And so it would uh, be kind of typical or similar to what we know as a typical ethanol plant to use, uh, consume a lot of, uh, of corn. And have a lot of uh, corn byproduct uh, uh, feed as well too and and then as they go on and produce their their uh, jet fuel product so that kind of fits in well with econ- economics uh, uh, obviously a large electrical load for this region you know uh, feed products for the livestock industry, job creation uh, for for jobs for economic development and growth and a lot of things so whether it's a large project like that or whether it's a, a small uh, company or a small business trying to do something or whatever just kind of all all sides and, and sides and scopes of of different economic development are things that that I focus on work on for every day
0: well, that's really neat you know and one thing maybe we can jump from this is when you're talking about the byproduct of feed you know the livestock industry in this part of the state is so central to how our economy is able to function we don't usually think about it if we're not coming in contact with day-to-day obviously like you and i do with our jobs but it's something that really affects electric rates across the board because of the amount of people who are in livestock businesses that use electricity correct Absolutely, and you know not just from the electric
1: side, but just like you said, our entire economy, and uh, it is it's it's so essential. You know, if you have a an ethanol plant there, you you have to offload your byproducts, and you know what better way to do that than than the feed industry, you know, with livestock, and uh, you know even the you know row crop farmers. I I do row cropping as well too, but to to have those local outlets and you know to improve uh, corn basis or soybean basis, and the best way to do that is to to not have to truck your product so far to a market you know anybody that produces or manufactures anything, you know the closer to you are to your to your end consumer, the better off you are and to bring that end consumer, that livestock industry to help it expand and grow here is is uh, is really a good thing. We do a great job in this state in this region of producing commodities, especially on the egg side of things and uh unfortunately we also do a really good job of shipping them out somewhere else and and i know it's been said a lot of times you know if you can walk it off instead of truck it off the farm you know it's it's definitely you know, every time you can keep a product there and add value to it one more step even you know you, there's there's more job creation there's more there's more energy consumed there's more more people needed to help do that and that just all
0: helps stimulate local economies absolutely and i think that's something that is worth keeping in mind when we see people opening up new livestock facilities, whether they're a swine facility or a poultry facility or a cattle facility or whatnot, that in this state especially, uh, a lot of these folks are, are neighbors that we see at church. They're people that we see at the school board meetings. People that we interact with on a daily basis, for sure.
1: And and I'm one of those people. I'm uh, you know as a as a kid, who grew up in uh, raising hogs. Uh, you know, while well, we had we had cattle, we had hogs, we had sheep, we had chickens. You know, just like mm. a lot of farms back in the '70s. And you know, my wife, uh, you know, she grew up on a family farm uh, west of Sioux Falls, a ways. And here again, they also had cattle and hogs and sheep and and things. And, and so we both grew up in that industry. And over time, you know, because of evolution of livestock production and 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 priorities and limits on labor, you know, availability and things kind of got out of it. But uh, we're actually in the process of getting back into the hog business a little mm-hmm. bit uh, through uh, feeding hogs, and uh, it, it's definitely evolved. And for those uh, those people out there that haven't been actively on the farm, you know, either. In and out, like it's kind of my whole personal life story, you know, kind of in, you know, heavier in livestock and then kind of a little less and then, you know, getting back into a little more or not. But everyone else has kind of missed a lot of, of how uh, livestock production has evolved. And, and to me, it comes down to, well, a little bit on economies of scale, like every industry, whether you're manufacturing furniture or producing livestock or, or meat production. Uh, you know, economies of scale plays a role, but uh, one of the other things that I think is more important is an issue that we've all dealt with tremendously this last year, and that's health issues. Um, animal health has has become such a such a big thing, and probably one of the biggest changes I think that I've seen in agriculture, um, soil health on the on the crop production side, and. Uh, animals actually help a lot with that too, but also um, animal health, and that's really a big concern, whether it's my cattle herd or or getting back in the hog industry. Um, my involvement in the hog industry looks a lot different now than it did when I was a kid, or even you know, as it was as I was doing chores and having some investment, and I was paying for a lot of my college tuition back in the day, you know, the, the, just the facilities, and, and the big reason for that is for, for the health of the animal, and biosecurity reasons, and, and stopping uh, highly contaminated, Contagious diseases, and like I said, we all are a lot more aware of highly contagious diseases than we ever were before. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, when you when you focus on a certain illness, like uh, the, you know, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, we've also found that we're focused on a lot more, and we're healthier in a lot of other ways. You know, I think uh, if you talk to the healthcare systems around the uh, the number of RSV cases in in infants and you really young children has probably decreased tremendously. was the last time I talked to somebody that said they had influenza this you know this past year you know it's Mm -hmm. because we're a lot more focused on that and and for those of us in the a in the livestock production side of things we're seeing that too is when we're more focused on some of the more uh, contagious communicable uh, diseases that we've seen especially in the hog industry for example or poultry or even cattle as we focus on those we're actually improving a lot of those other those little more nitpicky things that we've had to deal with over time too and and a lot of that you know it comes because of the facilities that we're, we're utilizing. So, you know, a 400-foot-long hog finishing barn, like uh, the one that I'm in the process of uh, putting up right now, is a lot different than the way we f- yeah. uh, fed feeder pigs and, and butcher hogs when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the reason is for the health of the animal and the safety of the animal. So.
0: Specialization breeds expertise, one could say.
1: Yes. And and that's probably another reason, too. And it's because of you know those health concerns and other things, too. A lot of other people said... You know, and, and for me, too, I, I couldn't get back into Farrow to Finish uh, and the hog industry because, one, I don't have the labor force and I'm involved in too many other things, but I can f- focus on just one thing or have a facility that just focuses on one portion of that and allow others to be experts in other areas of the hog production so it's kind of segments it and stuff but uh, it is a way for me to to get back and involved and and to feed more corn and soybeans locally and ship less of less of them out as well but the other side of it not just animal health but the other thing in agriculture that's uh, that I've seen evolve a lot too is is soil health and I'll be real honest. That's the thing I'm most excited about getting back in the hog industry is the access to that natural fertilizer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we've always utilized it, and uh, you know even some of the uh, farmland that I started uh, renting from my in-laws and you know, I could tell where that, where that, uh, manure field always was. And, you know, we had that one back home too. And, and, uh, you know, when we pitched out the, uh, the straw, straw pens out of the fairwing barn twice, uh, twice a week. And, and it was, uh, you know, pretty good wind chill on a 15 degree or colder day. And, uh, dad sent you out to spread the manure while he was bedding the barn and that WD Alice got pretty cold there with that wind <laughs> going. And, and, yeah. I wasn't so concerned about going to the far end of the field to make sure manure got spread in that sandy knoll. I was just, once I got in the field to the front corner, I dumped it and got back so I can warm up again. And, you know, so you can see those things, the decades and even generation later, where, uh, you know, the use of those natural and uh, those organic nutrients and the animal manure really plays a big role in soil health and water holding capacity, much less yield production and just organic matter increase. And, you know, you have less uh, erosion and just a lot Mm -hmm. of different things. And and that's really what I'm excited about is uh, just kind of the tie in. And we've kind of seen that kind of ebb and flow also in agriculture too, where everybody used to have livestock and then a lot of people just went to strictly grain farming. But now there's, you know, there is a lot more focus on, on back on the manure management side of thing. And, you know, another industry where that's helped a lot within the egg industry is in the dairy industry. You see a lot of, uh, say, 2,000, 5,000 cow and even larger at uh, dairies now. And again, people see a large facility, but as you mentioned earlier, by being able to specialize and, and do things efficiently, you can really do a great job. And if you're a, a neighboring farm around a, a, a large dairy like that, you're pretty excited for the opportunity to maybe work with that dairy to to get the manure and the, those natural nutrients again and increase your your soil health as well too so there are a lot of benefits and plus it allows you to do other things and maybe another outlet for your for your grain markets to sell silage or alfalfa hay and you know change up your rotations which again help with your soil health so it's kind of neat but like you said earlier, whether it's uh, just the general economy or the, helping the general Economics of a of a community, or whether it's you know down on a producer level, if you're not actively involved in livestock production, if it's around you and it's vibrant, and it's healthy, and it's, you know, doing well, it's it's a huge benefit and a huge driver of, of the economic success of an area. Now, former mayor Mike Huther, when I was uh, the secretary of Ag, he was the mayor then, and and he was one that he would always say, as Governor Dugard would say, as, as overseeing the state, he'd say, as goes the Ag economy in our state. So goes the state economy, and and Mm -hmm. even the mayor of Sioux Falls, he would say too, you know, when agriculture is having a good year, Sioux Falls is having a good year, and vice versa. If agriculture is struggling, that's when Sioux Falls economy would struggle too. So even in a
0: city like Sioux Falls, we're still dependent on the ag economy around us. So kind of moving back here to your experience or your position, I should say, with East River Electric, what you're doing in the business development department of East River Electric has. A direct impacts with livestock producers and you work directly with them in different ways could you describe a little bit about how that all unfolds
1: one of the things as as i was assuming my role with east river electric was uh, and a lot of work at groundwork had been laid before i got there too by uh, folks at east river was just seeing that the importance of, of livestock in the overall economy and the success of of the rural electric cooperatives around and our ability to continue to serve. Uh, our consumers our members and and provide uh, that in an efficient manner and so, so we wanted to really to make sure that we are educating and and advocating a little bit for the things that are important in our surrounding us in doing that uh, one of the things that we did shortly after i I came on board was we held a livestock summit where we kind of looked at the thirty thousand foot level and said, "Here are the reasons why livestock is important and you know some of the things that we've already talked about you know the you know, we have a lot of raw commodities, of feed sources, and and how can you add extra value? And you know, what's the 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 nutrient level that we can help improve soil health through through the application of more uh, animal manure and things? And uh, you know, one of the other areas we looked at it is even just if you just want to continue being a grain farmer, you know, what is you know having a neighbors that have a you know a livestock around you? What does that do to help you? And uh, I remember some statistics that were. Uh, uh talked about then we looked at uh, Sioux County Iowa so northwest Iowa and anybody mm-hmm. in this area knows that Sioux County Iowa has just a, a, a ton of livestock they have really mm-hmm. embraced it over over the the past decades and so as using that as a benchmark of saying so what's the corn basis level or the local price you know not just off the Chicago Board of Trade but what how does that equate to the local basis and, and a lot of what that says is how much of your corn is being consumed close to home? Because the price that a farmer gets goes down less or the basis gets wider or larger when more of that expense has to be paid in trucking or shipping to to move the product to the end market. So when you have a a narrow basis on corn, the farmer gets paid more for his his corn, but it also means that there's a local market for it. And so they compared that as a baseline to uh, Parkston, South Dakota. And look back, say, 20 years, and there was quite a disparity between those two basis levels because at the time, there wasn't a lot of uh, feeding around there. And now you're seeing a lot more, just using Parkson as that example, a lot more, especially in the hog industry, a lot of growth in the hog industry, a lot more corn being fed there. And if you look at it now compared to two decades ago, those local basis levels are are closer to being neck and neck versus seeing like wow that's a you know it was almost like it, it paid you to, to ship corn from truck put it on your truck and haul it from Parkston over to Sioux County Iowa you know, you could pay for your trucking and and now you could no longer do that I meaning like you're better off selling it locally and so and what that shows is that it, when you increase your 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 livestock uh, you know the amount of feed that's being the corn in this case is being consumed locally you know, you're doing your grain farmers benefit as well too. Plus, you have more livestock. As a, a one of my predecessors, uh, Bill Even, who was Secretary of Ag early in the Dugard administration, said, "Where you've got when you have jo- where you have chores, you have jobs." I think is how he said it. And uh, you know, when it comes to to, to you know to uh, agriculture, you know, you do a crop production. Boy, our corn planters have gotten larger. Our 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 combines have gotten larger, and you can cover more acres with one with with each individual person. But when you have chores that have, you know, cows or sheep or chickens or or hogs or whatever it is that have to be fed twice a day or whatever, you have to have people on site all the time and monitoring, and and that's what creates a lot of jobs. And so livestock agriculture does a great job of creating jobs.
0: And that's what your summit really was, letting people know about that East River Electric put on.
1: Right. And talking about all the benefits, and and a lot of it is, uh, you know, maybe... uh, For those uh, producers out there, they're saying, you know, maybe somebody like me that said, you know, I used to be real heavy in livestock and now I'm not so much anymore. Maybe I, you know, what are the benefits if I get back in, add some uh, solid cash flow to my operation as we all know, the grain markets go up and down and some years are profitable and some years you aren't. Or if it's somebody else that just says, you know, hey, I, I see things differently out there. I see a lot of confinement facilities. I see larger dairies. I see larger hog barns out there. You know what's changed, and you want to just learn more about what's going on. It it, it was kind of meant for both angles, is so that people can see and appreciate, you know, why things have changed. And you know, the other side of it is is local tax bases. We we know when uh, when there's a lot of uh, you know uh, construction being done, and you know when you put up a eight hundred thousand uh, uh, dollar hog fe- feeding facility, you know that adds tax base to my local township, to my local county. And, uh, you know, the ones that I rely on heavily, you know, in rural South Dakota, uh, one of the biggest expenses they have is maintaining the road system that they have that me as a farmer or as a resident uh, really relies on, uh, you know, for commuting and and hauling, delivering my other products. And and if I can be a part to help contribute to adding to that tax base, you know, that's a good thing too. So a lot of what we uh, did initially in that summit was to, Trying to talk on that thirty thousand foot level to to really explore that a little more and, and educate people a little more of you know what is a, you know uh, you know modern agriculture and more modern livestock agriculture. Um, kind of a, a scenario I always laid out when I was a, a Secretary of Agriculture was. As uh, you know, when I got involved in crop farming at home, I had a, a pull type combine, one that you, meaning it didn't have its own engine, you know, you had a tractor hooked on the front and it, you, know, you pulled it behind and I had a single axle grain truck that held 250 bushels. You know, and now I have a self-propelled combine and, and a semi that I haul grain with and, but people could drive by on the highway and look out and see me in my field as I evolved from, from that one to the next up to where I'm at now and, and as all my neighbors have as well. But uh, in livestock agriculture, because of you know biosecurity things with, with uh, diseases and, and trying to do things to to improve uh, herd health, you know we've went to confinement facilities, and so the unfortunate side of that is we've put up walls and and, uh, and our animals are somewhat hidden behind those walls. and so people can't see that. like they can see the evolution from my single axle grain truck to my. To my 18-wheeler out there in the field. And so, you know, as people can see that and visualize and understand that, they they haven't seen the, the change from... From uh, you know when they were at Grandpa's farm as a kid, and there were 24 pigs uh, out behind the the barn in a mud hole, and now there's 2400 head in a in a high tech uh, confinement facility that uh, the air temperature is being monitored, their their water consumption is being monitored, and can be you know if uh, you know a, a pen of pigs or, or some of them in there are starting to get sick that. The, you know, basically, that the computer monitoring system can tell it sooner than you can as a vet, probably. Mm-hmm. And you know, those things. And there's a lot of things that we're doing, and we can do in that kind of an environment that are that are better for the animals and and better, you know, efficient and everything, and, and end up getting a better product because that's as producers of of egg commodities. That's what we want is to have a safe product um, that can be priced as cheaply as possible to the consumers, you know, in the grocery stores and. But it's it's uh, you know, we have to continue in agriculture to help educate and tell that story. And and that that's the challenge I think we face a lot with livestock is as as facilities get bigger, people see change and and you know it's it's human nature to be resistant to change. We always mm-hmm. we always do that. And and so and to help educate people through those some of those changes so they can see why we're doing it and see the benefits of that is is important. And that's one of the things that that we do that I do in my role with East River Electric as business development directors try to help educate people and and bring that down and bring those those benefits back to people so they can see more than just just that barn i drive by
0: and thank you all for taking the time to stop by and share all this with us and our listening audience
1: absolutely
0: and thank you to all our, our listeners out there y'all take care folks